You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Um, here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us um, and when we read the Bible, we are, we are hearing God speak. So today's Bible reading will be taken from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 13 to chapter 2, verse 3. So I'll be reading from the CSB version, um, and we'd encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles. And as always, the passage will also be displayed on the screen. A call to holy living. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, Be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, You are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time, living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your father, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is a gospel that was proclaimed to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice or deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of God. Gracious God, we ask this day that as we look at your word, that you might speak to us, that you might transform our hearts, that you might move our hands to action, that you might do these things all for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. All of us don't just want to be someone. We want to be known to be someone, don't we? We want other people to think of us in a particular way. We want people to think, oh, I know Jevin, he's so... Now, I don't know what word you filled in there. But let me ask, what, what word would you want everyone to use to describe you? What word would you want everyone in your life to use to describe you? If you did, as some of you have, a Myers-Briggs type indicator, 
an enneagram or another superstitious horoscope. What would you want it to say of you? Maybe you're the driven type of person and you want your LinkedIn profile to project a professional image of someone who's driven, competent, successful. Or maybe you want your friends to see your Instagram account and think she's so funny, popular, connected. But how would you feel if you heard someone describe you as holy, holy? Just imagine, right, overhearing a conversation at the office about you. One man asked his friend, what do you think about the new guy? Oh, the new guy? Oh, he's really holy. It's not exactly the first word we'd want people to use to describe us. If I'm honest, if someone describes me as holy, it sounds like they think I'm just a bit proud stuck up, the, judge, the judgy Christian, the holier-than-thou type. The, the, the American writer H.L. Mencken once described Puritanism as the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. And I think that's kind of how we think a bit about being holy, being a bit of a killjoy, someone who reigns on the parade as such. No one really wants to be described as holy. Holy isn't isn't exactly the word that we want people to use to describe us, and yet it's exactly the word that Peter uses to describe you and me. It's right there in the heart of this passage of verse 16. Be holy because I am holy. That's not just who Peter wants us to be. He's saying it's who we are. I wonder if you remember so far in this letter, Peter's been reminding us of who we really are. He's been laying that deep foundation of our true identity. So that when we're faced up against persecution and pressure, we're not going to step back. No, we're going to stand firm in who we really are. In verses 1 to 2, he assured us we might be rejected by the world, but fellow Christians, we are chosen by God. In verses 3 to 12, he rejoiced with us, we might be orphaned by the world, but we are children of God. And today, in verse 13 to chapter 2, verse 3, he wants to rally us with this great reality, that we might be hated by this world, but we are holy like God. We have been born again to be a holy people. We have been born again to be a holy people. That's what your MBTI is. That's what your Enneagram says. We are holy. And as a holy people, Peter wants us to make four key commitments. Four key commitments this day to live out our true identity. Number one, he wants us to hope in grace. To hope in the future grace to come. Uh, We saw last week, didn't we, that hope is everything that these exiles would have longed for. Just imagine that low-level, ongoing social rejection. It would have sapped their joy. It would have chipped away at their hope. But we saw in verse 3, Peter assured these exiles, no, we've been born again to a living hope. Jesus has given us a new life and a resurrection hope. And now, in verse 13, look at what Peter says. He is calling us to set our hope. 
completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. From verse 3 to verse 13, can you see what Peter is saying? He wants us to live in light of our living hope. To live in light of our living hope. And it all starts with the mind. You know, it's so easy for us to fixate on our suffering, isn't it? To obsess over our distress, to be consumed by our hardship in that moment. But I want you to see what Peter says in verse 13. With your minds ready for action, be sober-minded. Don't fix your mind on your present suffering. Fix your mind on your future grace. Do you remember? It's the grace that we saw back in verse 10. The grace that the prophets foretold. The grace that we brought to us by the Lord Jesus. If you want to fix your minds on anything, fix your minds on that. Because one day, when Jesus is revealed, when Jesus returns, and when Jesus gives us the saving grace we've been so longing for, Peter said back in verse 7, that we'll share in his praise, his glory, and his honor. Verse 13 now, he says, set your hope on that day. Fix your minds on that day. Stand firm in light of that day. Long for that day. Yes, it's right. Lament your suffering. Cry out to God. But don't have pity parties. Don't wallow in despair. Don't spiral out of control. No, fix your mind, not on your present distress. Fix your mind on the grace to come. Don't look here. Look forward. Be like a soldier preparing for battle. Fix your mind on the saving grace to come. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? We hope in our future grace, firstly, by abandoning our old identity, and secondly, by embracing our new identity. Don't be beholden to the world, no, be holy like our God. You know, uh, when I was growing up, I used to uh, play with Play-Doh. I suspect many of you did as well. And, and what I'd do is I'd find this piece of dough that was, let's say, I don't know, made out of the shape of a star. And I'd take that star and destroy it and force it into the mold of another shape. And that mold would then apply pressure to the dough. It would press it in and stretch it out. Those beautiful five points of that star totally obliterated. And by the end of that process, what started off as my brother's beautiful star had been reshaped into something else altogether. And Peter says that the risk is the same for all of us. That we will be, verse 14, conformed, pressed in, reshaped to the desires of our former ignorance. That the world will reshape us into loving what we used to love, enjoying what we used to enjoy, living for what we used to live for. We've all felt that before, haven't we? When we're hanging out with some of our non-Christian friends, we, we feel that pressure to live like they live. To desire what they desire. To do what they do. We, we feel them mold us. Press us. Stretch us into a life that desires success, sex and self. And by the end of the night, we all know that feeling. We can feel ourselves being reshaped into someone entirely different. Someone unrecognizable to our God. Peter says, don't 
let that happen. Stand firm. How? Fix your mind on the future grace. Leave behind your former desires. Embrace your true identity. Verse 14, our true identity. We are children of God. We are obedient children. You see, friends, we've seen it last week. We've been chosen by God to be children of God. We've been chosen by God to be his obedient children, to live a new life with a new set of desires, to no longer be beholden to this world, but in verse verse 15, to be holy like our God is holy. In, In verse 16, Peter, he quotes Leviticus 11, which gives us a picture of what it means to be holy. This is what it says in Leviticus 11. Consecrate yourselves. That is, set yourselves apart and be holy because I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart from this world and set apart for our God. Set apart from this world and set apart for our God. To not belong to this world, but to belong to our God. To not be born of this world, but to be born of our God. To not be a child of this world, but to be a child of our God. When the final whistle blew, Brazil was declared the winner of the 2002 World Cup. The crowds cheered for the Brazilian national team. And in that moment, Their midfielder, Kaka, stripped off his jersey to reveal a t-shirt which bore these words, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And in that moment, he declared to the world that in one sense, at the height of their success, in their sheer moment of international glory, I don't belong to this team. I don't fundamentally play for this team. No, most deeply, more than anything else, I belong to Jesus. I play for him. He's my team. He's my captain. It's a picture of what it means to be holy. We don't belong to this world. We don't live for this world. We don't desire this world. No, we belong to God. We live for God and we desire God. You see, when when you feel your friends molding your desires into the shape of this world, to desire success, sex, and self. No, stand firm. Fix your eyes on the future grace. Leave behind your former desires. Embrace your true identity. God gave you a new birth so that you might belong to Him, so that you might live for Him, so that you might desire Him more than anything or anyone else. What does it mean to be holy? Don't let your desires be shaped by this world. No, throw yourself into your new life which belongs to God. Be holy by hoping in our future grace. Secondly, be holy by fearing the Lord. Be holy by fearing the Lord. Let me ask, how do you think these exiles would have been praying in the depths of their despair? What do you think would have filled their prayers as they felt that persecution and pressure? If I were in their situation, I can tell you what would be filling my prayers. Fear. Fear. 
I would be afraid that my friends would be rejecting me. I would be afraid that my family might be ashamed of me. And I wonder if you realize the power of fear. How fear grips us, how fear controls us, how it determines and dictates how we live. Here's the truth. We follow whom we fear. We follow whom we fear. And if the exiles of that day feared the world, well, I can promise you they would have followed the world. They would have lived like the world. They would have been conformed to the world. But Peter begs them, if you want to be holy, don't fear the world. Fear the Lord. Don't fear the world, fear the Lord. And if we fear the Lord, then we'll follow the Lord. We'll live for the Lord. We'll be transformed by the Lord. We'll be holy like the Lord. Verse 17, if you appeal, that is literally, if you cry out to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in, you'll see the word reverence, if you double click on that, it's the word fear. Conduct yourselves in fear during your time living as strangers. You see, God has given us a new birth, that's what we've seen. He's made himself our Father. And one day our Father will return to judge the wicked and vindicate the righteous. If you are suffering for the gospel, if you are standing firm for the Lord Jesus, don't fear the world. For all of us, including them, we will have our day in court. We will have our day where all of us stand before God the judge. And on that day, our Father will make everything good. He will set all things right. So in the depths of your fear, don't fear the world, fear the Lord. But I want you to notice that there's actually two different types of fear going on here. You see, the first fear is this, is this sense in which we're terrified, afraid of the world. We, we fear the world because we tremble at its persecution and pressure. But that's not the fear that Peter wants us to have of God. No, the fear that we should have of God is, is something else altogether. Just listen to what the Lord says in Jeremiah 33 about what it means to fear God. It's totally different. This is what our God says. This city will bear on my behalf a name of joy, praise and glory before all the nations of the earth who will hear of all the prosperity I will give them. And I want you to see what fear means here. They will tremble with fear because all of the good and all the peace I will bring about for them. There's a different type of fear, isn't it? We fear the world because of its persecution and pressure, but we fear the Lord because of His goodness and His grace. We fear the world as those who tremble afraid, but we fear the Lord as those who tremble assured. It's that moment that this child runs home from school, trembling at the taunts and the words and the mocking tones of his bullies which chase him all the way home. He runs home into his mother's arms and his mother holds him. He continues to tremble, but it's a very different type of trembling. No, the trembling he now fears is that the trembling and the awe of being loved, of being comforted, of being saved, of being known. That's a very different type of fear. 
Are you afraid of being rejected by your friends? Of being mocked by your family for your faith in the Lord Jesus? If you are, be careful, for we follow whom we fear. If you fear your friend's rejection, you will follow them. You will desire what they desire. You will live like they live. And if you fear your family's shame, you'll step back from living for the Lord Jesus. Step back from living a life that is set apart from the Lord. Instead of making decisions out of a fear of the Lord, you'll end up making decisions out of fear of your family. It could be about gathering as a church, being baptized, pursuing ministry, even making everyday decisions about housing, marriage, children or work. You won't stand firm for the Lord. God says, don't fear your family. Don't follow your family, at least in these respects. No, fear me. Follow me. Don't tremble at their disappointment or embarrassment. Tremble at my goodness and my grace. But it's so hard, isn't it? It's so, so hard to fear the Lord when we're afraid of the world. When our friend's rejection or our family's shame or embarrassment is put there right in our faces, how in the world can I remember God's goodness and grace? Well, in verses 18 to 21, Peter wants to show us the, the apex of God's goodness. The, the summit of his grace, which then blasts away our every fear. What is it? It's our powerful and eternal redemption. Our powerful and eternal redemption. Notice in verse 19, our redemption is not bought by perishable things like silver or gold. No, we've been redeemed with something far more powerful, something far more permanent, something that can never be destroyed. We have been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. Our redemption is so powerful that we need not, and we need not ever fear the world. No, we are free to fear and follow the Lord. And not only is our redemption powerful, no, it's eternal. That's Peter's point in verse 20. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, chosen just like us, and he will be revealed in these last times. And our redemption takes place between these two eternal points in history. Our redemption is as secure and was one as part and the center of God's eternal plan. Can you see there is no power nor era that can destroy our redemption or our hope in Jesus? We have every reason to fear and follow the Lord. We have every reason to put our faith and our hope in the Lord. We have every reason to stand firm in our holiness, to stand firm in who we are in the Lord. You see, when we take a stand for Jesus and our friends pressure us to live like they do, or we feel the shame of our family to live like they want us to live, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of losing them. Because if you're afraid of losing them, you'll follow them. You'll start living like them. You'll start desiring what they desire. Also that you can be kept, accepted, protected by that group. But why would you ever need that when you are kept, accepted and protected as one who is a chosen child of God? 
Don't step back. Stand firm. Remember that you've been powerfully and eternally redeemed. Look at the cross and remember God's goodness and grace. Fear the Lord. Follow the Lord. Stand firm in His grace. Be holy, for He is holy. If you're not a Christian, I hope you can see that fearing the Lord frees us from every other fear in the world. I just love what one Christian pastor writes. Truly, those who fear God have nothing else to fear. Truly, those who fear God have nothing else to fear. Isn't it great that we tremble at God's goodness and grace? What a wonderful fear to have. So that we need never tremble at the hardship, the hatred, or the hostility of this world. If you fear God, if you trust in His goodness and grace, you won't ever need to be afraid of God. You won't ever need to fear His judgment, His wrath, His condemnation. You won't ever need to fear the fires of hell. For if you fear God, you will know that you've been powerfully and eternally redeemed by Jesus' death for you. Hope in grace. Fear the Lord. And thirdly, be holy by loving one another. Be holy by loving one another. It it sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? To be holy through love. My natural assumption is often that holiness and love are inherently incompatible. Where we think that God's holiness leads him to judge us, and that when he loves us, he somehow holds his nose, compromises or sucks up his holiness all to love us. We think that God loves us in spite of him being holy. But can you see that holiness isn't incompatible with love? No, Holiness is actually expressed in love. Holiness is expressed in love. And so it is for us. You see, I think one of the reasons why we don't like the word holy is because it sounds so unloving. But just like God's holiness is expressed in Him loving us, our holiness is expressed in us loving one another. Just look at verse 22. Since you have purified yourselves, made yourselves holy by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure, that is a holy heart, here it is, love one another. It just doesn't quite sit right with us. Love is actually holiness in action. Love is holiness in action. And I want you to see that is the result of our new birth. Our new birth leads to a life of love. Verse 23 says, it's that because we've been born again, that we now extend this brotherly or sisterly love to one another. Holiness means loving one another within the family of God. It means loving one another, not just once or twice, but constantly, through thick and thin. For we all know those of you who have grown up in non-Christian families or have non-Christian mates and come to faith, you'll know that when the pressure's on to step back from God, the pressure's also on for us to step back from His people, to stop gathering with His people, to stop loving His people. 
But we must not step back. We must stand firm. We must resolve to love one another, not just today or tomorrow, but constantly, even against the greatest hatred and hostility of our world. Just just look at the emphasis of verses 22 to 25. Love one another constantly. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The word of the Lord endures forever. I wonder if you can see this passage is not actually primarily about the word. It's actually primarily about our love. But the word is the foundation of our love. The word is the engine of our love. The word is the motivation and the impetus of our love. Just as the word endures forever, so must our love endure forever. The enduring word of God produces an enduring life of love. The, the word is, in many ways is our gospel DNA. And that gospel DNA expresses itself in a life of love. Have you ever seen one of those families, met one of those families where everyone looks the same? I know you've probably seen families where children look like parents, but occasionally you see families where, my gosh, they're all the same. Those of you here who know Matt Fong will know that he's a spitting image of his brother. If you've never met Tim, you'll know that he's Maddie's brother. He's a great guy. I love him dearly. A few months ago, I saw a photo of the whole Fong family. Maddie, you are a spitting image of your father and your uncle and everyone else. It was, it was crazy. It was like looking at a, a group family photo of Matt Fong's at different ages. <laughs> they all looked the same. It was wonderful. You knew that they were a family. They bore those classic Fong family features, because they all share the same DNA. And as God's children, the word of the gospel is our family DNA. It's in all of us who follow the Lord Jesus. It's in all of us who have been born again to a living hope. And that DNA of the gospel, it expresses itself in our classic faith family features. What is the greatest and defining feature of this family? It's love. It's love. If you want to know what it means to be holy, what it means to live as a chosen child of God, it means to fear and follow the Lord. It means to stand firm not only in grace, but to stand firm in holiness, and not only to stand firm in holiness, but to stand firm in love. It means to love these sisters and brothers constantly through thick and thin through persecution and pressure, through hatred and hostility. That's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to be a chosen child of God. It's in our DNA. How do we be holy? We hope in grace. We fear the Lord. We love one another. And finally, we desire the Word. We desire the Word. Let's run with this born-again image, just as Peter does. If the gospel is our DNA, then to desire the Word, to drink deeply of the Word, is to become more of whom God has saved us to be. It is to become more of our true selves who are set apart for God. 
It is to more fully embrace our new birth as God's children. If God has given us a new birth, then to long for the Word is to, in many ways, if we could, strengthen our DNA. To be a newborn infant drinking her mother's breast milk. It's said that once a baby is born, one of the best ways for her to grow strong is to drink her mother's breast milk. That breast milk is said to contain all the nutrients that that child needs. And if she drinks that milk for the first six months of her life, the chances are that she'll be stronger and healthier for her life ahead. Peter is saying much the same truth for you and me in relation to God's Word. In verse 2, he calls us newborn infants. We've received a new birth. We've been born again. How then do we grow strong? How then do we grow strong bones and muscles and mature? Desire the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. If the Word is our DNA, then drinking deeply of the Word will only strengthen who we are. The Word will strengthen us to be holy as God is holy. The Word will strengthen us to hope in our future grace. The Word will strengthen us to fear and follow the Lord. The Word will strengthen us to love one another constantly. The Word will strengthen us to stand firm in the grace of God. A true mark of our holiness is a desire for the Word. The Word doesn't just tell us who we are. No, it makes us who we are. From time to time, people will come to me and say, Adam, I just feel so distant from the Lord. I just feel so spiritually dry. I just feel like I can't stand firm around my non-Christian friends and family at work. And I'll ask them, How, how's your life in the Word? How are you going in your, in your Bible reading? And nine times out of ten, they will say and I will say, Oh yeah, kind of haven't read the Word for, I don't know, a year. And it stands to reason. Because the Word is the means of our maturity. The Word is how we stand firm. Even in the face of hatred and hostility, it's the Word that grows us up so that we might be mature, strong and confident, ready to receive our inheritance as the children of God, ready to receive our future salvation. If you get that sense, that this world is subtly but surely reshaping your desires to love what it loves, to live like it lives, can I urge you, drink deeply of the Word of God. If you feel your heart slowly beginning to love this world more than you love the Lord, to fear this world more than you fear the Lord, can I urge you, drink deeply of the Word of God. For when you do, you will see, just as the psalmist did, you'll taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll taste and see that the Word is good. You'll taste and see that God and His Word are better than anything this world has to offer. The Word will transform our desires to be holy, to love what God loves, to hate what God hates. And when the Word transforms our desires, you know what? You won't want to live like the world anymore. You won't want to chase success, sex and self because you'll have tasted and seen that the Lord is so much better than anything this world could ever offer. We have been born again to be a holy people. So brothers and sisters, here's four things for us this day. Hope in grace. 
fear the Lord, love one another, and desire the word. Imagine that you overhear a conversation in the office about you. One man asks his friend, hey, what do you, what do you think about the new guy? A bit weird, isn't he? And you hear the other person say, oh, the new guy. Apparently he's a Christian. Not one of those fake ones. No, like apparently like he's, he's like, he actually does this thing, right? It's hard to explain, but he's different. Bit odd, bit weird. Don't get me wrong, he's good at what he does. His work quality is good, but he doesn't really pin his hopes on climbing the ladder. He doesn't even seem to be really afraid of that partner who keeps giving him flack for being a Christian. Don't get me wrong, as I said, his work quality is good, he works hard, but I don't know, he just values different things. When we all go out on Friday night and and drink hard, he goes out and hangs out with his church friends. I haven't seen anyone love people who aren't their own family like that. It's weird. How many even meet up for lunch outside 333 Collins Street every week? It's, it, I don't get it, right? I, I once saw him at Maverick reading some book with his church friend. I don't get it. I guess he, people would say he's wholesome, right? He's different. I don't know that hard to hang out with him. He's just a little weird. Friends, I think the word he's looking for might be holy. And here's my challenge for all of us Christians here today. Why don't we make it our ambition to be wholesome, different, and just a little weird? We strive so hard to make ourselves acceptable to the world. Peter's saying, don't bother. Distinguish yourself. Make yourself just a little weird. Embrace being set apart from this world. Embrace being set apart for our God. May we stand firm against the pressure and the persecution and the hatred and hostility of this world and its desires, may we stand firm in grace, in holiness, and in love. Why don't I pray? Loving Heavenly Father, you've given us a new birth for a reason. You've given us a new life for a reason. You've given us a new hope for a reason. Not so that we might live for ourselves, but so that we might live for you. Not so that we might belong to this world, but so that we might belong to you. Not so that we might desire this world, but so that we might desire you. Make us a holy people. A people that stand out in this world for your great glory. A people who are just a little weird for the sake of the gospel. A people who the world would look at and see there's something different. There's something almost otherworldly. Make us such a people, we pray. All for Jesus' sake. Amen.